Wisconsin cast 30 votes for Bernie Sanders and 67 for the next president of the United States of America, Joseph Biden. Joseph R. Biden. <laughs> or something like that, right? Who is that? Wisconsin Mandela. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Governor, Governor, yeah, Mandela Barnes. Well, well done. I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with From you. From Pacifica Radio in sweltering Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. It's kind of like the roll call at the uh, DNC on uh, (laughs) Tuesday night, ain't it? We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow... Says me from Bradblog.com, just trying to keep up with it all. Yes, that was Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes of Wisconsin screwing up his state's announcement. (laughs) He was tongue-tied. He was tongue-tied. Joseph R. Biden's or something uh, on Tuesday night. It was, after all, day two of the DNC's weirdly interesting Democratic National Convention on Tuesday night. Uh, We'll discuss that a little bit in a moment, but it was also, since no one is discussing this, uh, also statewide primary day in Alaska and Wyoming and the great eternal battleground, uh, mother of all swing states, the uh, great state of Florida on Tuesday, where Democratic activists in the state, not the state or National Democratic Party itself, but grassroots activists decided that enough was enough. As progressive blogger Howie Klein of Down With Tyranny discussed on this show last week and as ABC News decided to notice on Election Day on Tuesday morning, scarred by narrow defeats at the ballot box in recent years, ABC's Will McDuffie writes, Democrats in Florida are planning a different approach this fall. Compete everywhere, no matter the odds. Well, there's an idea. Klein, citing that report, took exception to the description that it was Democrats in Florida, but actually activists who the Democratic Party worked against, he says, as a more is a more accurate description of who planned for and fought for this new approach. 
In fact, those Democratic activists, as ABC correctly reported, are touting the fact that they have a candidate on the ballot in 140 of 141 state, house, and senate races in Florida, a strategy that activists there say will spur Democratic turnout this fall, boost Joe Biden, and help the party to chip away at its deficit in both chambers of the Florida state legislature. Yep, that's the plan, says Howie, uh, chipping away at the GOP grip on the legislature in the state and helping reinvigorate a moribund state Democratic Party, which has failed to field candidates up and down the state for years. In 2016, as ABC notes, 21 state House and Senate races went completely uncontested by Democrats, according to the Florida Division of Elections. Donald Trump won Florida by only 113,000 votes, reportedly. He captured all 29 electoral votes in a key swing state that likely will prove critical again in 2020. So... The fact that Democrats aren't even trying in a whole bunch of a large part of that state may be affecting them at the ballot box in these big general elections, at least so Howie argues. Too often, even though there are more Democrats registered in the state of, of Florida than Republicans, Democrats have nobody to come out for, nobody to come out and vote for. But the activists now are trying to change that after successfully recruiting Democrats to challenge for those seats. They uh, filled by the deadline in June every single race uh, in uh, except for one. I think there was one House candidate was disqualified because of a technicality with her paperwork. She's challenging that in court. But 140 out of 141 state House and Senate races will now be were now Competitive on Tuesday and will again be this November. Today, Howie notes the strategy is already yielding encouraging results. And Howie Klein will be joining us in a bit to explain, along with a special surprise guest, oh, Desi Doyne. Okay. He promises. We'll see. We'll see if he if he gets here. He okay. may be going on very little sleep at this point, but we'll see. Uh, also, by the way, in case I can't get to it, let me just note here for longtime Bradblog.com readers. And uh, broadcast listeners, one of the winners in Florida on Tuesday in one of the Democratic U.S. House primaries was a guy by the name of Clint Curtis, which may ring a bell to some of you as I broke his story of being a Republican voting system whistleblower way back in 2004 after he claimed a top Republican in the state and a close pal uh, with the Bush family had asked him to create vote-stealing software for touchscreen voting machines. Well, it appears that Clint, who is uh, running as a Democrat this year, has won his primary in Florida's 6th Congressional District on Tuesday. Awesome. Maybe more uh, in a bit about that with Howie. But before we get to Howie and his surprise friend, yes, it was day two of the Democratic National Convention on Tuesday night. When they officially nominated and held a roll call vote around the nation to approve Joe Biden as this year's Democratic presidential nominee. Dizzy Doyen, I thought it was uh, somewhat less dramatic than day one. Uh, maybe since we now know how they're going to do it. <laughs> yes, uh, it, I thought you were going to say since we know how it turns out. <laughs> well, it's true. We do know how it turns out. But you didn't have uh, you didn't have Michelle Obama to close it. But you did have a moving speech by D uh, Dr. Jill Biden. Yep. 
his wife at, as the closer on uh, Tuesday night. And of course, every time they tell Joe Biden's tragic story of losing his wife and his uh, young daughter in a car accident just before he was sworn in to become, I think, the youngest U.S. senator in history at the time. I think you're I right about that. And then losing his grown son, uh, Bo Biden, who was Delaware's attorney general uh, to cancer just a few years ago. It is a heart wrenching and and inspiring story of how he overcame it, no matter my opinion of his politics. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it did a good job. The night did a good job of presenting him as a person as he is seen through the lens of other people. I will also add that this uh, highly scripted show, it was always scripted, but, you know, somewhat less so when you had folks on the floor who could do anything, oh, yeah, who way. could boo or could chant or could applause or protest. The scripted, uh, tightly controlled show now sure does help keep the pesky progressives from protesting or oh, doing anything surprising. That is a Did good point. That, that yeah. is true. But, you know, it also prevents the drowning out of everybody that uh, was trying to protest in previous conventions. So, you know, it's a less engaged in the room concept. But I kind of like this way actually better, I have to say. Well, because you don't like things. To, you don't like upsetting the apple cart too no, much. No, I, see I enjoyed the production values. And... I enjoyed how quickly it moved along. I enjoyed the fact that we got to actually get to hear from real people who normally get drowned out and lost in those vast convention halls. The normal, average, real people no. who do the living and working in in, in America, they usually get lost in these yeah, kinds no, of proceedings. Yeah, no, I actually, I will agree with you on that because that's when, when they run those, those video montages, that's when the networks tend to cut away from As the well, action yes. and and talk to themselves, talk to each other, talk to someone on the floor. And I always go, oh, what was that video? That looks really cool. Well, so now we got now we at least get to see all of it for yeah. whatever that's worth there. By the way, there seems to be universal praise for the I agree. Very cool. 50 state plus several U.S. territories uh, a roll call. To officially uh, nominate and uh, vote Biden in as the nominee, there were some. Uh, there was some confusion, however, near the top when um, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez spoke and said this with what I guess was a, a bit of a surprise ending, at least to those who were not paying close attention to the proceedings. Good evening, bienvenidos, and thank you to everyone here today, endeavoring towards a better more just future for our country and our world. In fidelity and gratitude to a mass people's movement working to establish 21st century social, economic, and human rights, including guaranteed healthcare, higher education, living wages, and labor rights for all people in the United States. A movement striving to recognize and repair the wounds of racial injustice, colonization, misogyny, and homophobia, and to propose and build reimagined systems of immigration and foreign policy that turn away from the violence and xenophobia of our past. A movement that realizes the unsustainable brutality of an economy that rewards explosive inequalities of wealth for the few at the expense of long-term stability for the many, and who organized a historic grassroots campaign to reclaim our democracy. In a time when millions of people in the United States are looking for deep 
systemic solutions to our crises of mass evictions, unemployment, and lack of health care, in el espíritu del pueblo, and out of a love for all people, I hereby second the nomination of Senator Bernard Sanders of Vermont for President of the United States of America. Wait, for who? What? Huh? <laughs> Uh, so, uh, for some reason, uh, that was uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez seconding the nomination of Bernie Sanders, which some in the media apparently misreported as, I guess, her refusing to endorse Joe Biden at the uh, Democratic National Convention. Yeah. She, uh, she took to Twitter shortly thereafter to clarify. She said, if you were confused, no worries. Convention rules require roll call and nominations for every candidate that passes the delegate threshold. I was asked to second the nomination for Senator Sanders for the roll call. She added, I extend my deepest congratulations to Joe Biden. Let's go win in November. She, uh, in another tweet, she thanked the uh, DNC officials for choosing her to uh, the honor of, of seconding San Sanders's nomination. And then she went on to slam NBC News early on Wednesday morning over what she called malicious and misleading Twitter headline on on her speech without context that she uh, quote, saying, quote, that she did not endorse Joe Biden. NBC News eventually deleted the tweet a couple of hours later in response to people pointing out that its framing gave the false impression that uh, AOC, who had backed Sanders during the Democratic primaries, had deliberately snubbed Joe Biden. But that was not the case. No, it and, wasn't. And apparently it took them several hours to take down that headline. Yeah, and NBC. I think that's really dangerous and in a really prime example of showing how vulnerable the public is to being mm. misinformed, disinformed and misled by mistakes that the media makes and then does not correct immediately. Yep. Granted, it'd be great if they didn't make those mistakes in the first place. But it reminded me that this is what Nils Gilman was talking about on Monday's show, the uh, head of the Transition Integrity Project, Project yeah. who warned that we have to have the media inform the public about how procedures and rules work specifically over vote counting and vote tallying so that the public can be inoculated in advance against disinformation about counting of the ballots and why that might be taking and, longer and than what, normal. Uh, you know, and what you always say, Des, what, what the media says matters. The way people hear it matters. So get it right, mainstream corporate yeah, media. And, That's and, all I can say. If and, we can get it right, they can. And help your friends and family understand. Understand the rules and procedures and start explaining them to people now. Here was, by the way, the actual nomination of Joe Biden before the roll call votes, uh, as made by U.S. Capitol uh, elevator operator Jacqueline Brittany. Uh, I guess to sort of burnish Biden's backstory here as a man of the working class people. I take powerful people up on my elevator all the time. When they get off, they go to their important meetings. Me, I just head back to the lobby. But in the short time I spent with Joe Biden, I could tell he really saw me, that he actually cared, that my life meant something to him. And I knew, even when he went into his important meeting, he'd take my story in there with him. That's because Joe Biden has room in his heart for more than just himself. We've been through a lot, and we have tough days ahead. But nominating someone like that to be in the White House is a good place to start. That's why I nominate my friend, Joe Biden, as the next president of the United States. <laughs> 
That was pretty cool. That yes. was uh, the uh, Capitol, U.S. Capitol elevator operator. No, that was New York Times. Oh. Sorry, New York Times elevator operator Jacqueline Brittany. Really? Yes. New York Times. He goes up and down the elevator that often at uh, the New York he Times? He was going in for his editorial board meeting ah. during the primary. They did not end up endorsing him, but she did, and that's the moment that went viral. Got it. All right. Uh, I've got to get to Howie here. Um very quickly, we'll cover more of the uh, DNC as the week goes on. Uh, and then, of course, what I'm really looking forward to, believe it or not, is next week's RNC. I suspect it may be a disaster. Who knows? But, uh, maybe just wishful thinking. I don't know. We'll see what they come up with next week. We do have two more days of this, so we'll talk about it more in the uh, days ahead. Of course, while Democrats are trying to rally voters, apparently from both the left and the right, at their uh, uh, convention to support Joe Biden. State primaries are continuing across the country, including in Florida on Tuesday, where a new electoral strategy by activists, if not the Democratic Party, appears to be yielding results, at least for progressive candidates already. Howie Klein of Down With Tyranny and a very special surprise guest joins us next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. can probably only mean one thing. Howie Klein will be joining us shortly to discuss burning down the House in a progressive way with progressive candidates. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. You may uh, be forgiven if you did not notice with everything else going on. But it, yes, was actually Election Day in a number of states on Tuesday. State primaries were held in Alaska, Wyoming, and the critical battleground state of Florida, where Democrats and Republicans alike finalized who will be their U.S. House nominees, as well as uh, state House and Senate nominees during this year's crucial November 3rd general election. As we have noted on previous days after the unofficial election results this year, are somewhat delayed in many places due to the increased number of vote by mail ballots being cast. Uh, which, unlike in-person polling place votes, take longer to manually authenticate one by one before they can be scanned by computer tabulators, either correctly or incorrectly, who knows, because very few, if any, of these hand-marked paper ballots, absentee or otherwise, are ever examined by any actual human beings to determine if the computer scanners did so correctly. In Florida, as a matter of fact, it is against the law even in so-called recounts in very close elections, it is against the law to hand count any paper ballot under any circumstances unless a court order is uh, is given to allow such a count. I am happy to report that I've uh, literally heard zero reports of problems at the polls on Tuesday in any of the three states so far. Sometimes uh, such problems emerge in the days after the election, but I'm taking it 
as good news for now, since there is so little of that these days, that in-person voting went smoothly, it seems, at least on Tuesday in all three states in general. And that's especially good news in Florida, which is notorious for Election Day disasters. In fact, I spoke to the great Ion Sancho late last night, the former 30-year supervisor of elections in Leon County, Florida. That's the state capital of Tallahassee. He said he had heard of zero problems all day. As to the results, well, we will get to those momentarily with the great Howie Klein, but I will note just one or two of them quickly here. Longtime Bradblog.com and Bradcast listeners may remember the name Clint Curtis. He's a former software programmer turned Republican whistleblower whose story I broke at Bradblog.com way back in 2004 to some fanfare at the time after he had filed a sworn affidavit describing a uh, request that he says he received from then Florida House Speaker Tom Feeney, later U.S. Congressman Tom Feeney, to uh, he was asked to construct a prototype for touchscreen voting software that could flip the results of an election without detection. He would then eventually be called to testify during a public congressional hearing after the 2004 election in Ohio and uh, was featured in an award-winning documentary along with myself called Murder, Spies, and Voting Lies, which you can still purchase, I think, at VotingLies.com. It's both excellent and terrifying, even if it includes me in it. As you can tell from uh, from the name, there's much more to the Clint Curtis story. You can check that out at bradblog.com slash Clint Curtis. But today there's another new chapter as Clint, now a Democrat, appears to have won his Democratic primary to become the U.S. House nominee in Florida's 6th Congressional District on Tuesday, which is a very Republican district where he'll have to face first-term incumbent Michael Waltz, who filled the seat left vacated by Florida's now very Trumpy governor, Ron DeSantis. And um, Waltz ran uncontested in the GOP primary on Tuesday. In another purportedly very red district... Ten Republican candidates vied in a free-for-all to win the GOP nomination in the state's third congressional district to try and fill the seat being vacated by far-right retiring four-term Republican Congressman Ted Yoho. It appears that Republicans have selected Kat Kamek, if that's how you say her name, as their nominee. I don't know much about her. Uh, I think it's a her. Uh, Anyway, in any event, they have selected Kat to run against first time Democrat uh, Democratic uh, uh, candidate Adam Christensen. He is one of several progressive candidates supported this year across the country by the Blue America PAC, co-founded by our friend Howie Klein. Christensen appears to be the winner of a very tight three person Democratic contest where the current Third place, uh, third place candidate received just over 32 percent of the vote. The second place candidate received just over 33 percent of the vote. And the apparent winner, Adam Christensen, eked out the nomination, it seems, with 34 and a half percent of the vote. Three uh, very close uh, candidates bunched up there. He defeated uh, the runner-up, Tom Well, by just about 800 votes out of more than 60,000 cast and counted on Tuesday. If that is made official, as I understand it, Christensen at just 
uh, 23 years of age, would become the youngest House nominee in history. And of course, if he wins, I suspect he'll be the youngest member of the U.S. Congress ever. Here to help me fact check that and more once again today, as we've been checking in with him following these late season state primaries, is our old friend Howie Klein, founder of the longtime progressive blog DownWithTyranny.com and co-founder of Blue America PAC, raising small dollar donations to help send progressives to uh, not not Democrats, but progressives to office. And as I noted last week, he's a man who knows more about congressional campaign politics than should be allowed in proper society. Also this week, I understand he's going to uh, have to jump off earlier than hoped to hit a deadline, but he has brought along a surprise friend who's a, a pretty decent replacement today, I think, after Howie leaves. Howie Klein, sir, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Thanks. You really want me to fact-check your uh, your intro? No, now that I mention it. Actually, I want you to fact-check at least one part of it here. A- Adam Christensen, um, w- will he be the youngest member of Congress ever if sworn in? If you, if, He'll if be he one wins? of the youngest. He's, he's, I believe is is, is 26. Um, I think he's 26 years old. All right. Well, so, uh, But yeah. uh, he has a lot of wisdom and experience for someone his age. He ran two companies as a CEO. Mm-hmm. So he knows what he's doing. He's not, a, he's not at all like a child who's just sort of fumbling around in the dark. So, uh, yeah. And, and, and it, by the way, uh, the count was official, officially accepted. He is the winner. The other two uh, candidates have conceded. Adam Christensen will be the Democratic nominee for that, the seat that was formally, or actually is still held by uh, Ted Yoho. Well, do you want me to, to fact-check what you just said, Howie? Okay, it's not official until it's certified by the state of Florida, as oh, I understand it. So, well, that's uh, a week later, but uh, concession, usually you yeah. that uh, if, if you get that little check mark from the Associated Press, you're right, it's not <laughs> until the state says it a week later. Right. But uh, I don't know any time when they've overturned uh, uh, the Associated Press. Fair enough. Now, I, I know aren't, there aren't enough votes uh, left to be counted uh, that that even if one of the candidates got all of them, it was, still wouldn't make a difference. A- Adam uh, still won. I got you. Interesting now, thing about it, though, is that yeah. one very, very blue county uh, in this district, and that's the one that has Gainesville in it, mm-hmm. which is obviously the, the, the bluest part of the district. And, and they all sort of split that up kind of evenly. What, where Adam was able to win was in the areas where Democrats don't usually even bother to... Uh, to campaign, and those are the rural districts that are that are pretty red. And, and Adam, uh, who makes a lot of sense to people, he just talks sense. He that's where he did his campaigning, and that's why he won. That's why he won the primary. And I think that's gonna, why he's going to win in November and flip a pretty red district, not overwhelmingly, but pretty red district that the DCCC is not aware of. They're not looking at the district. They, did, they didn't take part in the primary. They didn't put up one of their own crazy candidates. And, you know, I doubt that they'll get behind Adam now. I, they might, mm-hmm. but I, I can't imagine that they actually will. Well, uh, but well, I think he's going to win anyway. Well, with That's going to be an interesting one for us to watch here uh, as the uh, months unfold. It certainly will. So, with that said, uh, Howie Klein, you also brought a friend with you, I understand. Would you like to introduce him, or should I? Uh, you, by okay. all means. You're, you do such like wonderful, flowery introductions that uh-huh. uh, and 
Go go for it. All right. Thank you for buttering me up there, Howie. Uh, joining us now is Adam Christensen, uh, who, according to his website, I think, is a 23-year-old business owner and candidate, now apparently the Democratic nominee to fill the vacant seat in Florida's 3rd Congressional District, which is historically a very Republican district, where it now looks, uh, according to these uh, results from, uh, from AP anyway, it looks like uh, Christensen will be the candidate and he will run against the apparent winner of this 10-person Republican primary, Kat Kamek, this free-for-all GOP primary for the nomination to replace retiring four-term, very far-right, very Trumpy incumbent Republican Ted Yoho, I think most famous for uh, recently verbally assaulting Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the Capitol steps in D.C., calling her... Well, disgusting and some other words that I can't repeat. Adam Christensen, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Oh, thanks for having me. You gave me three uh, three more years off my life, apparently. Apparently I'm now 23, but you know what? I'll take it. Okay, I'll so, every year I can get. So how, how old are you, Adam? Oh, 26 years old. Now, but is it true, because you have this uh, posted to your TikTok page today, that your entire campaign staff is currently 23 years of age or younger that is a hundred percent true yeah our actual campaign manager is 20 years old the deputy um chief of uh, deputy campaign manager is uh 19 and yeah we are running an entirely youth-led uh, campaign cool so you are young enough you will still have to call aoc grandma if you get to congress i guess how he told us uh, last week about uh this group in florida pushing to activists in Florida, really, pushing to make sure that there were Democratic contests in all of Florida's congressional districts, its state and Senate districts, uh, for the first time, I think, ever. I don't know. How did you decide to become a first-time candidate this year? Were you, uh, Adam, were you uh, recruited, or was this something you decided to jump in and do? No, this is something that I saw. I, I, number one, I thought it could happen. I mm-hmm. thought that Ted Yoho was going to retire, and, uh, you know, I saw that, you know, this is the one time that if it was ever going to happen, if this seat was ever going to flip, it was this year. So I jumped in and a bunch of other people realized that, you know, we had a shot at this and we could actually build something. Uh, but yeah, let me let me talk quickly about, you know, exactly what you were just saying and what Howie brought up last week is mm-hmm. we were able to get uh, House district candidates for every single district in the state of Florida to be able to run so that we could actually go on a broad-based attack and to be able to try to flip the flip the uh, flip the Florida House, mm-hmm. um, we were actually we partnered with four out of the five House candidates uh, in our congressional district to number one try to turn out the vote, and number two to try to make sure that we ran viable candidacies, and we were able to cut the margins in some of the rural counties and actually win the rural counties, and we were able to pull off an upset last night. We are the first Democratic nominee for this area who has not won Alachua County, which is where. Uh, Gainesville and University of Florida is at, mm-hmm. but won it in the rural areas and still win the nomination. Mm. So we are the youngest. <laughs> we are the youngest Democrat running across the uh, across the nation. 
We have the youngest staff of anyone uh, across the nation, and we were able to do it in a historic way that nobody has been able to pull off before. And so we are all extremely excited about it. As well you should be. And I got a lot of questions to ask you specifically about the campaign that, that you're going to be running. I know Howie's going to have to uh, leave us here in a minute or two, so let me just uh, hit him with a, uh, a question or two. Howie, I know you're approached by a lot of progressives uh, running for office out there. As co-founder of the Blue America PAC, how do you decide... Which candidates, like Adam, are, are worth supporting and which are not? Is it based on the likelihood of them winning, on their progressive uh, uh, bona fides, uh, no matter where they're running or, or who they may be challenging in the primaries? That's a great question, Brad, and uh, we should do a whole show on it. I'll just <laughs> answer very quickly yeah. that what I'm looking for is what kind of a member of Congress they will be. N- not only how will they vote, I'm looking to see how they'll lead what kind of a uh, kind of courage they have, mm-hmm. kind of morals they have. So I try to get to know candidates, and we don't send them a questionnaire asking them to regurgitate Bernie's platform. Blue America never does that. I just try to get to know them mm-hmm. and and try to determine how they will be when they're in office. That's the way we pick our candidates. And one of the things about Adam, particularly, by the way, that I was very interested in, and it ties back to what you were just talking with him about, is the, the use and the, and the working together and the leadership that he played with all of these House candidates, state House candidates in his district. In other words, there were all these Democrats running for the state legislature inside of his congressional district. He organized all of them to work together. One of them was amazing last night. She uh, is a, uh, she flipped, a, a, well, I shouldn't say she flipped. It, it's a Democratic district. Mm-hmm. It was oh, it, the, the, the corrupt Democratic Party and the corrupt labor unions who do whatever they tell them to do, backed some anti-labor guy who the Republicans like, and then the, the woman who was the real, you know, a, a heavy-duty labor person who was uh, one of the most important people in the Florida education movement, she won, and she won 60-40. But in any case, Adam, what impressed me was that Adam molded together a coalition of all these candidates and their campaigns, and they all campaigned for each other. And that had a lot to do with how he, as the, even though he was young and didn't have the name recognition that some of these other candidates did, and even though he didn't have the money, he still won. The, the argument, Howie, against running a Democrat in every district for the U.S. House or for state and uh, uh, Senate races uh, is that some are just so, uh, quote unquote, red. It doesn't make sense to spend limited resources on a race that ultimately can't be won, according to the Democratic Party argument, and that will otherwise decrease the chances of winning or holding winnable districts elsewhere. What's the answer to that and and the progressive argument in rebuttal to that uh, Democratic establishment uh, case there? Uh, Thank you, Brad. I love that question. You're welcome. One thing they're right, they're, they're right, that there is a way that these districts could never be won. And that's if you don't run candidates in them. No one will ever run. Since the current administration of the Democratic Party in Florida, which is so horrible, it's just one of the worst parties in the country, the second worst, Ohio's worst. They just have their own little fiefdoms in a few places in the country, in in the state, where, where, you know, there are a lot of minority members, and they've given up on the rest of the state, which is the reason why Florida, a 50-50 state nationally, has such a terrible, moribund Democratic Party. They don't try anywhere. They never try. They just want to defend themselves. That's it. 
They make deals with Republicans. They even asked a, uh, a woman who was running for state senator, a Democrat, to step out of the race so there wouldn't be a Democratic candidate because they preferred one of the Republicans huh. to another Republican. The one that they preferred happens to have been the girlfriend of, the, of a Democratic state senator, Gary Farmer. And, and, and she lost anyway. She lost by a landslide last night. And now, so there's some crazy right-wing uh, Republican running, and then our candidate, a good, solid, progressive Rachel Brown. In any case, if you don't run candidates, you don't win. And also, if you don't run candidates, the party starts to get, starts to die. Mm. People don't even know what the Democratic Party means in some of these places. Mm. Meanwhile, if you're running candidates, they're going to they're gonna enthuse voters some voters who come out to vote and they'll vote for they'll vote up ballot and they'll vote down ballot. So they'll so these voters who come in are going to vote for Biden. Mm -hmm. These voters that come in are going to vote for someone like Adam. Mm -hmm. That's why it pays always to have these candidates. No one is asking them is asking the Florida Democratic Party to take money away from where they think it needs to go to fund other candidates. These candidates are, are self sufficient and they're on their own. Mm. Well, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, no, I, Howard, 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 do you mind if I jump in here please, as well? Please do. Yeah, go ahead, Adam. So I, I coach, I've, I've played and I've coached high school soccer and college soccer ever since I graduated from college. I would never put eight players out on a field to go against 11. It doesn't matter how good that those eight players are. They will always be outmanned. They will always be outgunned. They might score a goal, but they are never going to win in the long run. What the Florida Democratic Party has decided to do is let candidates, competitive candidates, get double or triple teamed every time that they run. Why? Because Republicans can shift resources and time and effort to the contested races if they don't have to worry about the others. If you all go on a full, broad-based attack against the other team, doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter if it's a sport, politics, you go on a full, broad-based attack and make them spend time and resources and energy in places they don't want to, mm. you are going to win. Politics is a game of attrition. If you don't treat it that way, you will lose. So and if you do not run candidates everywhere, you will lose. And that is what they need to understand. So, And that's sort of the inverse about, oh, well, if we, if we uh, spend money in this race, then we won't be able to fight for that race. On the other hand, the Republicans are having to deal with the same thing. Now they have got to put money into the 3rd District to beat this upstart kid, Adam Christensen, that they might otherwise use to beat Democrats elsewhere. I think that's an excellent point, uh, Adam, if I'm understanding it. Howie, I know you got to get going. So on the way out the door here, and then I'll ask Adam the same question, you can give him your advice as you see fit. Howie, uh, do progressives, you know, it's one thing when uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in New York in 2018, Blue America PAC, I believe, supported her. Yes. Jamal Bowman in uh, also in New York this year. They were running against establishment Democrats in very blue areas. Winning the primary there was as good as winning the general election, by and large. But not so here with Adam and, and some of these other races, where progressives now need to run in a general election in a very red district. Do progressives need to sort of nuance their message in a district like Adams in the general race? Or... Or do they highlight that uh, progressive uh, agenda? Well, yes, and it's good that we'll have Adam to talk about what he is actually doing and going to do. But um, I have to remind you that we've had candidates running in very red districts who won. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Look at Katie Porter. Everyone said she can't possibly win because her Orange County district had never voted for a Democrat, and they're never going to. Mm-hmm. Yet Katie, a fiery progressive, won her district. And she isn't the only one. She was just popped in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they may have to nuance the way they talk about it. In other words, instead of using words that, um, that Fox uses to, to get their uh, base all riled up, they have to you know, explain these things in their own words. And I, and I know that that is exactly what Adam and, and other progressives in red districts are doing. And, and again, you don't win if you don't try. But when you try, at least you have a chance to win. We're in a, in a, in a very, very big anti-red wave right now. It's coming in and it's coming in strong. And even in a district as red as, um, as red as Adams, it's not a district where Republicans can win unless they take independent voters. There are a lot of independent voters there. If Adam get, turns out his base and brings in those independent voters, he's going to be a congressman. I got you, Howie. I know you got to beat it, so I will uh, continue on with Adam here. But you can find Howie Klein, of course, at downwithtyranny.com and on the Twitters at downwithtyranny, where you also can find a link to Blue America Pack if you choose to support some of these progressive candidates that uh, Howie is supporting and that we have been talking about. Uh, Thanks, Howie. We'll talk to you again soon, my friend. All right, Brad. Thank you. Thank you. And Adam Christensen, stand by. Let me take a quick break here and we will come back with uh, Adam Christensen and get into some of his some of the details on why he is running for Congress and how he plans to win in an otherwise, as they say, very red congressional district. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. We'll see. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I'm speaking with Adam Christensen, who is now the uh, nominee apparent for Florida's third congressional district for the U.S. House of Representatives. I believe this is his first interview uh, since Election Day uh, on broadcast media in any event since winning the uh, apparently winning the nomination. If he wins in November in what is considered to be a very red district, I think he will be uh, at uh, 26 years of age. He may be uh, one of the youngest, if not the youngest, Congress members ever sworn in. Adam, just before he left there, Howie Klein said that a progressive running in a red district should stick to their guns and uh, be the same person they were that won them the primary, essentially. Does Howie have that right? Do you sort of stick to your progressive guns and and hope to pull in the independents who otherwise had either stayed home in the past or were tricked into believing that people like you are uh, radical socialist, uh, communist, Antifa members who wish to destroy the country? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I grew up a conservative. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a Republican household. Uh, My grandfather lost uh, 6,000 head of cattle to the beef embargo from Nixon, mm. and is still a staunch Republican, and it is personal. That was personal to him. You never go away from your beliefs. 
you never go away and water down what you think or how you actually will achieve the things that will make people's lives better. People do not respect those who have no beliefs. People respect people, even if they don't agree with them, if they actually believe in something and are willing to fight for it. At the end of the day, it is not a question of moderating your position or watering down your policies. It is a question of, number one, sticking to your guns, but being able to speak in a language that will actually resonate and emotionally connect with the people you are talking about. Because at the end of the day, progressive values in the rural areas will help far more people than what is than what are being helped right now. But you have to use it and you have to speak about it in a way that will actually get them to believe you. Republicans have been excellent at this for years, decades. They have taken things. They have created new terms. They have basically done the focus grouping, the marketing, to be able to get people on their side with no policies. Mm-hmm. Let's take something like the death tax. Mm-hmm. That is only a tax on the wealthiest individuals, but they were able to get the people defending the death tax or getting want to get rid of the death tax, people who are only making $40,000 a year. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, a lot of this is marketing and messaging. So for us, what we basically do is we actually speak in the language of Republicans, of independents. We use the terms middle-class tax cuts. Uh-huh. We use the terms small business tax cuts. And what I mean by that is we are going to reduce the amount of taxes, private taxes, that everyone has to pay. We are going to get rid of the insurance companies from the health industry, which is a small business tax cut because small businesses pay eight grand per employee, and 30% of that goes to an insurance company. That is a tax. And And the ACA, when that was passed, the Supreme Court said it was a tax. They Mm -hmm. said premiums and deductibles were taxes. So you get rid of those, that's a tax cut. And Use that, those terms. that's why your Twitter, Twitter profile, I guess, says, I believe universal child care and Medicare for all are middle class tax cuts. If you're called Adam Christensen onto Fox News, where I'm sure they would love to have you and beat you up with all of those uh, names I previously called you a minute or two ago, uh, what, what, what do you do? How do you sell as you support the Green New Deal? I notice on your website you're behind uh, Medicare yeah. for All. How do you support, how, how do you make that case to Republicans, as you suggest, on uh, Fox News, for instance? I believe that if somebody's working eight hours a day, they should be able to afford a home, they should be able to afford a family, and they should be able to have enough money left over so they can take their kids to the movie theater and not feel bad about it. That is what a Green New Deal is. It is a federal jobs guarantee that says, if you want to work, we're going to get you a job. It's going to pay well. That is not radical. Things like making, getting rid of insurance companies and middlemen and cutting the fat and making sure there's not price fixing and making sure that monopolies aren't destroying the free market, those are conservative ideas. At the end of the day, that's what we're talking about. We are almost talking about classical conservatism as the progressive movement. And yet needs to be very clear, because if somebody doesn't back that, then they are not a Republican, or at least a Republican that they grew up with. That is not the Republican Party right now. It is not the corporate wing of the Democratic Party right now. At the end of the day, the question is, who is it that you care about? And are you able to actually make the case that you care about people and not hedge funds? 
Well, and most people can't make that connection. Uh, no, I know, and I I love to hear you speak this way because you know I, I I it makes me crazy when I hear people in the media. Frankly, when I hear Democrats talking about Republicans as conservatives, when by and large most of them absolutely are not. And I have to point out, no, I'm the conservative in most of these cases. I'm the guy who actually does believe in uh, the Constitution and the rule of law and. Uh, you know, what what is guaranteed in that Constitution and so forth. So I'm glad to hear you say, yeah, you got to use the language to go meet the people. What do you do when you're called uh, when you're called on Fox News and they call you a, uh, a radical socialist, Adam? We have lived in a socialist society for 40 years. We have had corporate welfare and corporate socialism for 40 years. You kidding me saying that there is going that you are scared of socialism you're not scared of socialism you're just scared of your buddies not getting the money they don't deserve and taking it from normal people that's what you don't care i mean that's what you care about so at the end of the day now if somebody tries to tell me i'm a socialist i will laugh in their face because at the end of the day they are the actual socialists and they have been and they have tried to trick people into believing that taking care of the poor and the hungry and the sick and the needy that is socialism. No, actually, at the end of the day, if you are a Republican or Mm -hmm. a conservative Republican, that is actually the mandate of the church. Mm -hmm. And you don't seem to believe that anymore. And so, no, if somebody's going to be a hypocrite, if they're not going to understand what actual conservatism or being a Republican is, like I said, I grew up one. Mm -hmm. If they are not able to actually fulfill that message, then they aren't one. And they should be called what they are, which is an extremist. And they are not conservative. Thank you. I agree 100 uh, percent, Adam. You, you mentioned a couple times that you grew up as a Republican on your website. You note uh, that it was a, a Republican in a deep red state. I'm not sure if that refers to Kansas, Indiana or Florida, since I think you grew up <laughs> in each of them. But they could all count. Either way, what uh, what turned you into a Democrat and a progressive one at that after growing up as a Republican for all of those years? You know, my I think my transition is going to be a lot different than most people's. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Mm-hmm. I uh, I grew up in the church. I grew up going to Sunday school every single Sunday. I grew up with that message. And when I looked around as I was getting through college and I realized that the people that had raised me, the people that had taught me how to be a moral human being and what was right and what was wrong, they were not following that anymore. And yet they were claiming that the Republican Party was the one that was you know, good for people and, and helping small businesses and, and helping people. And I didn't see it. I didn't even see that it was, you know, it was even a goal for them to be able to help people. And for me, the Democratic Party, I, I grew up believing that both parties didn't care whether or not I was going to live or die. That is what I believed. And that is what my family, that's what my community believed mm-hmm. is neither party cared enough because they cared about themselves. Yeah. And so for me, what I understand historically is that the Democratic Party has always been the party that has at least said that they cared about people, has at least said that they cared about the hungry and the poor and the sick. And for me, that is better than a party that doesn't even try to even, even fake it. Mm. And so for me, I see one party that can be reformed and another party that cannot. And so for me, that is where I transitioned, was I realized that if I was going to not only live out my faith, but live out the way that I was like raised, mm-hmm. that I could no longer stay a Republican. Mm. And so for me, I made that transition, 
And then Donald Trump happened. And then all of these other things happened. The Parkland shooting happened. And I realized that I couldn't, I had to get off the sideline. I couldn't just change my beliefs and then hope that somebody would come and save us or hope that things would get better. You had to actively do it. And so that that was my transition. As, as a progressive now running as the nominee in a very red district, as we mentioned, in a general election, uh, how do you win here? Do you run, uh, you talked about the language that you use, but do you run with Joe Biden, who is uh, decidedly a moderate Democrat, or, or from a distance, or, or maybe even against him? I don't know. What, uh, how do you move forward now, Adam? You move forward here. I mean, there's always been that saying that politics is local, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, especially right now, people care about whether or not they're going to be able to keep their home, whether or not they're going to be on the street, whether or not they can have enough money for their family. That is what people care about at this moment because they don't. Our district is one of the poorest in the country. I mean, Union County, the average income is $13,000. That, <laughs> that's survival. That's mm-hmm. barely survival. Right. And so for us, at the end of the day, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Party does not matter. It matters what people are going to do for others. At the end of the day, I am sick of talking. I am sick of, of being told that things that I should have hope or being told that things will change. That is what we've been told, but we've seen no action. I was always taught that actions speak louder than words. But if I'm so at the end of the day, whether or not we're going to actually go out to the rural counties, whether or not we're actually going to focus on people, whether or not we're going to show people that we care about them, that is what really matters. And that's what we found is really matters. And so for us, like we talked about at the beginning, number one, a broad-based attack, making sure that we are running for every single county, get trying to get every single vote, cutting the margins in places that nobody will even go to. We have to start there. On top of that, we have to build the broadest possible coalition. We have all the House candidates that we are partnering with, mm-hmm. and we got them. We helped them, and they also got, last night, we found this out, when we won, every single person that we backed won their race. Mm. Every single one of them. Cynthia De La Rosa, who's 23 years old, won her House race in Ocala, the primary with 75% of the vote. Yvonne Hayes-Henson won hers. And so our coalition is not only building, but we are trying to create an operation, a field operation, a ground operation that could actually do something that nobody's ever done here and actually reach every single county. The only way we win this district is if we win Putnam County and Marion County. And those are two places Democrats have never done well in. But we did <laughs> in, the prim- in, in our primary we won in the rural districts. We did not win the heavily Democratic area. Mm. And if we're going to win in November, we have to win the rural districts. Adam, I've only, so got, I've, on, I've only got a minute left, uh, and i uh, got like two quick questions I want to ask you. But uh, <laughs> I, I, if I'm Fox News, I noticed that you did not answer that question about r- whether you would run with Joe Biden or uh, from a distance or, or even against him. We are running and building a Democratic Party that can be formidable here. The better that the House District candidates do, the better I do. The better I do, the better Joe Biden does. Okay. And at the end of the day, we are building the Democratic Party in North Central Florida. Okay. Finally, uh, do, what do we know, uh, if anything, about your opponent here? It looks like it's going to be Kat Kamek, I think is her name. Is it a her? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is, yep. she, is she to the right or left of Ted Yoho? And <laughs> frankly, does it matter at this point? She's the same person. Okay. She is 
Ted Yoho's campaign manager for the last eight years. She is the man, or she is the person who has <laughs> built his entire infrastructure, ah. who has built an entire donor base, has built everything that he has. She built it. She was his chief of staff and deputy chief of staff. So everything that Ted did, she had a hand in. So Ted Yoho's name is not on the ballot, but we are still running against Ted Yoho. And by effect, we are running against Kat Kamek, and we all, like Democrats always have been. So we either tear down that structure and we beat her, or nothing fundamentally changes. Fair enough. Have you heard from either the state or national party since, and I know it's just been a matter of hours at this point, but from the state or uh, uh, national Democratic Party uh, since you were named the apparent winner uh, in the uh, uh, Florida's third congressional district? We're working on it. Okay. <laughs> I hear you. I don't have anything for you. I don't have anything for you at the moment. But, uh, you know, we, we have a little bit of a, we got a little room to hope uh, that they will get involved. And we're doing everything possible to get the margins close enough that they think that it's going to be uh, something they want to invest in. Good. Well, I hope they uh, listen to this interview and uh, realize that, yeah, Adam Christensen, I think, is worth investing in for the future of the Democratic Party. You can find uh, Adam, uh, his website, which I didn't even get to ask you about. Maybe I will in the future. Uh, The name of the website is for the many, not just me. Dot com. That's for the many, not just me. Dot com. And his uh, you can find him on the Twitters at AC for Congress 2020. The uh, number four is used there. AC for Congress 2020 uh, in uh, Florida's third congressional district. Adam, really enjoyed uh, speaking with you today. Congratulations on your big victory on Tuesday night and good luck as you move ahead towards November, sir. I appreciate that. Hey, thank you very much, and you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, sir. He's good, huh? Yeah, yes, very good. He's at good. It. He's smart, and he he makes the case that I always make is you know take it to him, take it to the right wingers, take it to Fox News, put this in terms that they can understand and meet voters where they are because they have been lied to and confused by the right for so long. You know, uh, yes, it is absolutely a conservative value to take care of your fellow citizens by doing things like oh I don't know wearing a mask in the middle of a global pandemic. That's not a lefty socialist thing to do. Anyway, we got to get out. Uh, Thanks again to Adam Christensen and, of course, to Howie Klein of Down with Tyranny. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Made possible by those of you who help us out by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. You can reach me via email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That's it. We'll see you there until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>